Today, Kenny is going to be preaching out of the book of Ephesians. It's chapter 1, verse 15 through 23. It says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope of which he has called you and the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably uh, great power for those who believe. The power is the same as... uh, Sorry, the power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Let me pray real quick. Father, first off, we just thank you for, uh, for Jesus and, and his life and his death and his resurrection and, and that you've placed him um, at the head. And Father, we just pray uh, today that as Kenny comes up and, and he preaches out of your word, Father, that you would just uh, use him as a mouthpiece and that you would... Uh, the Holy Spirit would convict people's hearts and and comfort people's hearts wherever they need to be convicted or comforted. Father, be with us. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Dale, for reading the scripture today. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? Good. I'm so glad that uh, we're here together on this uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, Day weekend. I know several of you are looking forward to celebrating that, or hopefully you have uh, a bit of holiday to uh, remember his legacy and um, all that we've come from and uh, all the good that has happened and still needs to happen. Um, today, I need to open up with a phrase that I sometimes uh, open up on Sundays with, and it's this, not today, devil. Yeah, not today, not today. Um, I showed up here at about 8.10, and Dave, who was playing guitar, was here early, gave me a call, nice friendly voice as always, to let me know that the electricity was out for however many city blocks, the stoplights weren't even blinking. That's how dead it was, pitch dark in here. We were like, gonna meet outside, and anyways, I hung up with him, and then I, I... uh, I just started praying. I said, God, I know we don't always pray for you to change our circumstances, and I know you want to do something through us, but can you please just let the power come on? <laughs> and uh, I got here, and five minutes later, it was on, so because they had told us it would come on around 11 a.m. So um, anyways, then, then we realized that the restrooms were broken because all of this glorious rain that we've had has broken the sewage pipes here at Roosevelt Middle School. And uh, so I'm sorry for those of you who have to go all the way over there for the restrooms, but we got to work with what we got, right? But we don't need electricity. We don't need restrooms to know that God is good. We don't need any of that to worship God. I can worship God without all of that, and and I trust that you can too, and so I'm thankful to be here today, continuing our series in Ephesians. Sermon uh, title today is called That You May Know. Um, Some of you guys have uh, noticed this in the last few weeks, I I have some new glasses. I got new frames, and um, I'm not fishing for compliments there, it's just part of the message, but... um, (laughs) No, it's, it's uh, I, I, got, I got them basically comped. I got the, the, deal, the family deal because my brother's an optometrist. It's a blessing. We're so, so hashtag blessed. And um, Hannah and I both got some frames. And um, I can barely see without my glasses. Um, I'm 
you know, just effectively, like, I can't read my notes if I do that. Um, but she gets by, she gets by uh, pretty well, and sometimes she won't wear hers, and sometimes she does. And I remember when we were dating, she told me the story of when she first uh, really found out that she needed glasses. And some of you may have heard me mention this before, but it was when she was uh, studying abroad, I think, or doing an internship overseas, and she had um, a free day or something like that, and she went to um, the Amalfi Coast in Italy. You guys ever heard of that? I think we have a picture of it. This is like one of the most beautiful coastlines on earth. Just people like want to go there in droves just to take it in, right? And I, I'm going to mess up some details. But I remember her being there that day, and either she was with someone or friends, and just hearing people talk about how beautiful it was, how amazing it was. And, and then she's there by the coast, and she just decides to borrow her friend's glasses to look at it. And, um, you know, just to look at it. And, um, which, there you go. You, she wanted to see how she looked in glasses. Okay, there we go. The, the true story. Anyway, so she puts them on, and this is the part that gets me, because this is not how it works. Like, you can't just use other people's glasses, and they work, at least for me. They never work. But anyways, for her, she just, everything came into view and came into focus, and she saw the beauty of the Amalfi Coast, and she just, she said she cried because it was so beautiful. And the thing that strikes me about that story is I just, I'm just struck by the thought of imagine that you're in that kind of beautiful place, that you're surrounded by beauty, but you can't see it. You're in the presence of it, but you're not aware of it. And I share that today because the Apostle Paul in this passage um, of the letter to the church in Ephesus, he's been writing, he's writing about this, what the church needs, what you and I need today more than anything else a lot of times is spiritual sight. We need to see the truths that God has revealed to us, that he would um, reveal the reality that's already there that we're surrounded by, but we may not be aware of. And if you remember the last few weeks or if you've read through Ephesians, Paul is writing this letter and he's just dropping theological bombs left and right. It's just so rich. It's so dense. There's this gospel truth that's just amazing. And in the middle of that, he pauses and he prays for the church. And if you guys noticed that as he was reading, he said, this is my prayer. I've, every since I've heard about your faith and your love, I've not stopped praying for you. And this is what I pray. And so this whole passage that we've read today is for a church. And he's praying for Christians. And the reason he's doing that is because he knows if all he does is explain to us the truth of the gospel and the facts of the good news, it's going to be worthless unless God reveals it to us in our hearts. And we really see it for what it is. We're not going to access those blessings that we talked about all last week until we have this spiritual sight. So that's why he says in verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Do you see what he's praying for? that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened. If you grew up in church, you know that cheesy song from the 90s. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I didn't plan on going this far, but I want to see you. Stop. That was pretty amazing. <laughs> it was pretty amazing. And, and it, yeah, it's a little cheesy, but it is a great song because this is where it's from. God, open the eyes of my heart. Show me in my spirit, by your spirit, what is true of me because of the gospel. And the first thing he says is, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You see that there's this mystery of the Trinity even in that verse. I'm praying that the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you his spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So that you may know him better. Well, isn't he writing to Christians? Yes. Um, don't Christians already know God? Yeah. But the prayer is highlighting this, that we would truly know 
God. It's not enough to know the facts about God. It's not enough to know the facts about the gospel with your mind. You have to feel their reality in your heart. That's what Paul is praying for us today. There's two really common Greek words for knowing or knowledge um, in the New Testament. And the first one is oida, which um, basically is saying, I know facts. I know facts and figures. I know that the capital of U.S. is Washington, D.C., oida. I know that the population of San Diego is 1.42 million people. I know that hummingbirds, I oida, that hummingbirds can flap their wings up to 80 times per second. Anyone know that? Now you do. And then the other word is gnosko, which is more of an experiential knowledge, a heart knowledge, knowing something because you've experienced it. And that's the word that's used here, that you may gnosko him better. So I, I know, I oida, that couches are really heavy. But yesterday, some of us helped Zach and Becca move. And about that second try with that leather couch, I, I gnosko. I know that couches are really heavy, especially this morning. I, I know. I oida. I know that the I know all the ingredients of carne asada fries. Yeah. Oh. But when you go to Lolita's, and when it hits the lips, that's when you gnosko. That's when you know. That's when you know. That's when you gnosko. You might know how parachutes work, but when you step off the plane, that's when you gnosko. That's when you know what skydiving is like. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew equivalent of the same word uh, was used um, to indicate sexual intimacy of a husband and wife. You know when it says Adam knew Eve? It doesn't mean that they sat down and exchanged facts about each other. Okay, how old are you? When's your birthday? No, it, it means that they knew each other, experienced each other in the most intimate way possible. Paul is saying you need more than facts about Jesus and about the gospel. You need an intimate, heartfelt knowledge of God. And why is that important for us today? Because it's very possible to know tons about God and not know God. If you don't believe me, ask Judas. Judas, I don't think he started out with a desire to turn on Jesus and to, and to betray him. I think he started out because he liked Jesus and he wanted to follow him. And what was it? He was around the best preaching, the best teaching. He knew, he oida probably more about Jesus than we would ever know. He saw the best miracles. He got to stay in the same house. He traveled with him everywhere he went. But at the end of the day, he didn't have this spiritual sight where the Spirit revealed these truths to him and they became real to him where he actually knew Jesus. Many of you guys know I'm in seminary right now, and I overheard a conversation with a fellow student who said something to this effect. Um, said, I, I read, you know, I read the Bible through twice when I was young, like before I was a teenager. And so, you know, it's kind of hard for me to read the Bible and get anything out of it. And I heard that, and I'm like, <laughs> that is the definition of mixing, mixing up knowing about God and truly knowing God, knowing God. I would suggest today that the majority of us here, this is our number one issue and need in our spiritual walk. Are you tired? Are you overwhelmed? Are you cold spiritually? Do you feel isolated? This prayer today is for you. You don't need a pep talk. You don't need a pick-me-up. You need spiritual sight. You need the Spirit to open the eyes of your heart and show you the truths that you already know and make them real to you. And that he's more than enough for whatever you're facing. There's a quote from Larry Crabb, the Christian counselor, who says it this way. God, you're all I have, but I don't know you well enough to know that you're all I need. How many would be honest with me and admit that you've been there before? I know you're all I have, but I don't know you well enough to know how you're all that I need. Maybe you're here today and you're bored. You're bored with Jesus. You're bored with the whole Christian thing. You, you obey, but it's just kind of a drudgery. And if that's where you are, can I tell you that you don't need more interesting facts about Jesus. You don't need another Bible study where you're going to get more head knowledge. You need the Spirit of God to open the eyes of your heart so that you can truly know him and let him 
help you see the truths that you already have in Christ. I've heard it explained that knowing Jesus is like um, water in a well. If you need more water, if you need more pure water, you don't dig the well wider around. You go deeper into the well that you already have to access more water. That's how our relationship with God is. Do you have someone that you're praying for? Do you have someone right now in your life that you're praying for them to know the hope of the gospel? Or someone who is a new Christian and you're praying, you want them to grow in their faith? This is what you need to pray for them. For our church, for you, I want you to know today, this is beginning to be my prayer for our whole church. To pray this over and over that we may know him and the rest of the things in this passage. So I want the rest of our time today, I want to talk about five things, look at five things from this passage that Paul prays that we would know. And the good thing is we already covered one of them. Uh, So just four more things. Um, We already know that he prays that we would know God better. Second thing he prays. You guys ready? All right. Vince is ready. Anyone else ready? Okay, good, 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 good. (laughs) Second thing, so first he prays that we would know God better. Second, in verse 18, he prays this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. That you may know the hope to which he has called you. Everyone say hope. What's interesting about hope in our culture is we use the word hope in a little bit different way than the New Testament uses the word hope. When we say hope, it's usually like, it usually means it's more like wish. Like, I hope that this is going to happen, but I have no idea if it's going to turn out that way, right? Like, I hope the Chargers beat the Patriots, right? A few weeks ago, you might have said that. Or you might have said, I hope the Patriots beat the Chargers, as I know a couple of you guys did here. I know that was like an ongoing argument, dividing the brothers. Um, But we say it like that. We say it like a wish. But when the Bible talks about hope, it talks about a certainty. It's It's things that because of our faith and because of what Jesus has done, we are certain that they're going to take place. And therefore, that kind of hope changes how we see everything in the present. You guys with me? If you remember last week, we talked about what, is that, what does that hope look like? Because Paul, in the last passage, he says, he says, you're chosen before the creation of the world in love, that you've been adopted to sonship. And then he says, he, he let us know his purpose, the mystery of God's plan, that at the end of all things, everything's going to be brought to unity under Jesus Christ. That all things are going to be made new and all things are going to be made right and no evil deed will go unpunished. And that we are going to be redeemed and saved fully and completely for life with God. That's the incredible hope we have. And when you have that hope and when you, the Spirit allows you to believe in it with certainty, it changes the way you look at things in your life. It changes the way you look at suffering. It changes the way you look at blessings. Some of you may remember the name uh, Hayden, Hayden Palm. Some of you may remember her. She was connected through our church um, through uh, a, a young woman named Elise, I think sister-in-law. Uh, Hayden was um, diagnosed with Merkel cell cancer when she was 21 years old, and, and she died two years later in 2017 when she was 23 years old. And, but she was a believer. She believed in Jesus. She had hope of heaven and one of the things that she did was she wrote a blog called the, uh, the Merkel Miracle, The Art of Celebrating Cancer. And she talked about all the challenges that she was facing knowing that she was, just, that she was going to die. Uh, she was a newlywed. Um, she blogged about planning her own funeral. Um, but if you read it, and thousands of people read it, it a lot of people found hope in it. And, and the reason they did is because she had hope in it, because she knew that God was going to use her trial for good, even even cancer. God was going to use it for good, and God was going to redeem it, and he was going to use it for his glory. And she talked about how the hope that she had in heaven kept her going even through suffering, even when she was doing stuff like planning her own funeral. You see, 
That's hope that changes the way you look at suffering. When you can latch onto a hope like that, when you can get a glimpse of the certainty that God has promised you and you believe in your heart that God is not a liar, that God has promised you this, when you get a glimpse of the ocean of God's hope on the other side of this life, what does the little thimble cup of our lives have to do with that? There's a little wave in this thimble, and yet God says, I have a whole ocean waiting on you. Another way of putting it is this. If you had an uncle or an aunt, and they were insanely rich, and they passed away, and they left you $1 billion. <laughs> billion. $1 billion. And the bank calls you and says, hey, we've got a billion dollars for you. You just have to come here and sign for it in person. Okay, easy enough, right? You get in your car, you head over, your car breaks down on the way. Now, how do you react to that? Do you get out and just start, why, God? <laughs> Stupid car. I can't, but no. You probably skip all the way to the bank, whistling. You got a billion dollars waiting. Who cares about this broke down piece of work that you're about to replace? That's what hope feels like. I'm not trying to lessen suffering or ignore it, but I'm saying if you have hope, it changes the way you look at it. So it changes the way you look at suffering. It also changes the way you look at uh, blessings. I watched, anyone watch Free Solo recently? I did. I've been talking about it a ton. Okay, we got a few. Free Solo, it features Alex Honnold, um, basically the best climber in the world. He climbed, I think I have a picture of him. Oh, yeah, that's him on El Cap. No ropes. No ropes. No ropes, no hooks. 3,000 feet up. He's the only human who's ever done that, and he did it in less than four hours. It's amazing, right? And, and I... Anyways, I'm going to go off on a deep end with that. But he's a, he's a really interesting guy. And um, he's an atheist. He doesn't, he doesn't believe in God. People talk about fear of death, and he says, no, I'm accepting my death and all this stuff. But one thing, this wasn't even the main point of the movie, but something that came up in that is he started the foundation to help people in extreme poverty and um, help people get uh, clean clean water to drink and cook with and get electricity for cheap and in environmental ways. And he just said it in passing. He was like, yeah, I give about a third of my income every year to that and to see that happen. And I heard, I heard that, and I was like, what? wait, what? <laughs> you give a third, a third of your income to that? Someone who has no belief in God, no hope for eternity, but he can give away 33% of his annual income. And yet, so often it's a stretch for us to give 10% to God's work in the church or to give more than that to his mission and to compassion projects and justice projects happening everywhere. And I'm not saying that to get down on you. I'm, this is convicting to me. But if you, if you have hope and if you believe in the certainty of your hope, it changes the way you look at your blessings. You don't see it, your, your life's unspoken goal as to make enough money so you don't have to show up at work anymore. You don't see that as your goal anymore. No, if God's blessed you, if he's given you more than enough, he's done that so you can be freed up for his mission. If he's given you more than enough, he wants you to leverage all the finances that you can give toward his kingdom, towards people hearing the good news and being lifted up. Amen? When you have hope, it changes the way that we treat the blessings that God gives us. When we see how certain that hope is, it changes our outlook on all we go through. So Paul prays, I pray that you would know the hope to which you are called. Next thing he prays for, that you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. What does that mean? <laughs> You know, we read that. I feel like when we're reading this passage, it's so rich and it's so deep that we can just skip over that because it sounds, you know, I don't know, kind of religious. I don't know. The riches of his glorious and the inheritance and the saints. But let's look at it. Let's look at it because there's a lot of meaning here. First thing, whose inheritance is it? I think we see inheritance and we think ours because that's in the Bible a lot. But I want you to see it's God's inheritance. It's his inheritance. You ever heard, what do you get the man who has everything? And then there's some cheesy ad for 
some dumb product. Sorry, I'm really negative towards advertising right now. Um, well, what do you get the God who can literally create anything with his word? What do you get him? You know what scripture says? You can praise him. Scripture says the one thing that God doesn't have that he really wants is you. He wants his people. His people are what he looks forward to inheriting and receiving at the fullness of time. You know, Deuteron- in, in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 9, he said uh, of Israel, but they are your people, your inheritance that you brought out by your great power and by your stretched arm. And in the New Testament, it says it's not just Israel. It's the people of God. Those whose hope, those who are in Christ, whose hope is in him, they are his inheritance. 1 Peter 2.10, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The inheritance he's talking about is you, you and I. Riches and glorious, those are the same words used to describe earthly kings when you talk about their treasuries and their silver. It's when you talk about their bling. That's who we are to God. His prized possession. We are the apple of his eye, Psalm says. Do you know your worth to God? Do you know the value that God places on having you? Leslie Newbegin said this, To create the heavens and earth cost God nothing, but to save us cost him his very life. Do you know that? The Bible says he did it with joy. Hebrews 12, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. He went to the cross with joy, saying that it was worth it because he wanted you. He wanted to reconcile you, to forgive you, to redeem you, to adopt you, to give you an inheritance, to give you a hope, to give your life a purpose and a mission. That's why Christians get so excited about the cross, because that's what it means. That's what Jesus was doing. That's what he did on the cross. He he didn't die by accident. He came to earth knowing that he was going to die for your sins and for my sins and pay the price for our sins. And if you're here today and you haven't received that yet, you can. If, if If you feel faith awakening in your heart right now and you say, I don't even know if that's true, but I want to believe it true. Can I tell you, that's the spirit of God awakening you right now. And if you believe it, if you say, Jesus, I want that. I don't want to live for myself. I want to live for you. I want this. I want what this crazy redheaded preacher is talking about. (laughs) You can have it today. You can pray today. We'll pray with you. You can start praying right now. Get started. (laughs) It's available to you today. That's why Paul says two chapters later when he prays again. Paul just keeps stopping and praying in this, in this book of Ephesians. But he says, I pray that you would know this love that surpasses knowledge. And he says, I pray you would know how, how deep and how wide and how long and how high is the love of God. Because he, he doesn't even know how to describe. I mean, how can you know something that surpasses knowledge? It's when you know it. It's when the Spirit opens your eyes to it and you feel it and you know it's true. And that's when God becomes real to you today. When you make this your prayer, God, open the eyes of my heart. I love the old hymn. And I got to explain it before I say the quote of the hymn because it's just in such old English. But it's the metaphor of this, the, the hymn, The Love of God. And it talks about if, um, if the ocean was uh, full of ink and the sky was a parchment or a scroll, and, and um, every stalk, so every corn stalk was a quill, you know, like a pen quill that you would dip in the ink, and then every person on earth was a scribe, and all we did our whole lives was try to write about the fullness of the love of God, that the ocean would run dry and we'd run out of space in the sky. Now that I've fumbled through it, I'll say it like the original. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Do you know 
how much you're worth in God's eyes. This is how repentance begins to be real to you. When you, Romans says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. When you get a glimpse of how much God values you and loves you and wants to set you free from sin and living for yourself, that's what leads you to repentance. That you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. Amen. Next thing he prays for, that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. Say power. Mm. Verse 19, he says, that power is the same as his mighty strength, which he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. And it goes on giving different metaphors for the power his incomparably great power for us who believe. Paul is praying that we would know that the power of God is working for us in Christ. Not just know it, but know it. Have an awareness of his incomparably great power. Not just a, uh, I got a, God's, God's not rationing out his power among believers. It's incomparably great. It's unfathomable. And he's saying it's at work for us who believe. At work in us who believe. So what, it, what can he do to, to describe that power? And, you know, when I think about God's power, I would think we'll talk about creation, right? Creation out of nothing. He made, he spoke, and there, there was billions and trillions of stars in an expanding universe that's still going, and God spoke that into being. Isn't that power? Making plants and animals and life isn't, I think about the super blood wolf moon that's happening tonight. Anyone know about that? <laughs> Sounds like a great band name, right? <laughs> super blood wolf moon. Um, that's happening tonight. Look it up. Um, not right now. Don't get out your phones. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, it's just a total lunar eclipse, and that's the name for it in January. Anyways, this, I just think of creation. This is, this is how I would describe God's power. But where does Paul go? He says he goes to resurrection. Why is that? Well, creation shows God's power. It shows that God can bring life out of nothing, but resurrection shows that he can bring life from dead things. Things that have already lived and died. See, creation shows that he can make something out of nothing, somebody out of nobody. But resurrection shows us that he can redeem messed up lives. Sin-sick, shipwrecked lives. Lives marred by addiction. Lives that look like they have no hope. People in, in prison in chains in bondage. Because of the resurrection, God can turn them around and bring them out of that. Mm. we need to know that that power is at work in us. In the middle, I don't know what you're facing today, but I know there's some of us here that are facing stuff. And we don't know what the other side of it is, and we don't know the right way to turn. And I know there's some of you who probably last night cried yourself to sleep, and you found it hard. It was so hard to get out of bed just to be here today. I know that. And I want you to know, do you know that God's power is at work for you? The resurrection power of God is at work in your life. We don't always see it. We don't always see it. You see it in Paul's prayers. He prays for the church in, in all sorts of letters in the New Testament. You know what he never prays for? He never prays that their circumstances change. He doesn't pray, hey, make the persecution stop. And that's fine to pray that. But you know what he prays? He prays for their character in the middle of it. He prays that they would see the power. And you know what? You know, he asks for prayer a lot. And he wrote at least four letters from prison. He never asks, pray that I get out of prison. He says, pray for me that I may represent Jesus as I should, that I may proclaim the gospel boldly and without fear as I should. Look at the door that God has opened up for me. I'm like, Paul, don't you see the door is locked? The door that God has opened for me in the gospel. 
Just like seeing Amalfi Coast for the first time, we need God to give us lenses and say, God, I need to see your power in, in my circumstance working for me right now. I don't need to wait till it clears up or till I see, oh, that's how God's going to do it. No, I need it right now. I need to see it right now. When I was thinking about this point, I, I love going over to Vince and Nancy's place. I go over there a lot. I pray, I'm surprised I haven't worn out my welcome in however many years of friendship. Um, they're always happy to see me, but there's a member of their family who's much happier to see me than them. And that's Levi, their dog. Uh, what kind of dog is it? Jack Russell Terrier. Tons of energy. And they have a little gate where he's in the kitchen. And there's a gate here keeping him from just, you know, jumping out on everybody. And when I come in, he's so happy to see me. And you know what he does? He jumps. He jumps. He jumps really high. He could totally jump over the gate. He jumps higher than the gate just to greet me, but not over the gate. You guys know where I'm going with this? He could totally jump over that gate if he wanted to, but he thinks that he can't. He doesn't see that he's been trained to just see this as a barrier that he can't get past. But he's got the power to jump over that. I'm not calling us dogs today, but I kind of am. Sometimes we are. Sometimes I'm like that dog. I don't even see the power that God wants to work through me. And has been given to me in Christ. And yet I'm jumping up and <laughs> like, God, why don't you remove this barrier? <laughs> God, take this gate down. Oh, my goodness. Do you know the power of God at work in you? Do you know what God can do through one person who believes in that power? Hey, look who we're celebrating tomorrow, Martin Luther King Jr. What can God do through one life? <sighs> At face value, I know a lot of times seemed, seems like God's not in control, but has that ever happened before in history? If you think about it, when is the one time where it seemed like God had actually lost and was totally out of control? Was it not the cross? Was it not when Jesus' body hung limp, dead on the cross. And then his closest followers, actually not his closest ones, the people that left him and scattered, and then the people who were brave enough to stay around buried him. Is that not when it seemed like God is out of control and looks like evil's going to win? We thought we had a good one here, but... And yet what was the reality? God was perfectly in control. He was working out his plan of salvation history exactly in line and in time with his plan, regardless of everyone who was against him. When you see that, you see what God is doing with your pain and with your struggles. Like Gabe was talking about earlier today, he is redeeming them. He will redeem them. God never wastes a hurt. You may not know why you went through what you went through, and you might not know your whole life, but you know that God's going to redeem it. That we may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. The last thing I want to hit that Paul prays for us, that you may see where Jesus is and where the church is. That you may have a new, a new vision of this and, and where he hits on this, he, he keeps going through the end of the passage, but the last two verses says, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. As you read that passage, it says that Jesus is above all authority, all dominion, every name that can be named. And in, in, the age, in the present age and the age to come, he's not saying it's going to happen. He's saying he's reigning right now. He is seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly realms. Who gets to sit next to God? Only one person. The ruler and the Lord of the universe. The seat of honor and authority. Jesus is overall. It says that God placed everything under his feet, which is the Old Testament metaphor for complete 
conquest. That's what uh, the psalmist says in Psalm 110, where he says, uh, sit uh, at my right hand until I um, put your enemies underneath your feet. Make your enemies a footstool for your feet. That's what God has done in Jesus. And Paul is writing this to Ephesus and the churches, surrounding churches of Ephesus. They had, you got to understand where they were. They had all kinds of deities and religions claiming spiritual power. They had people who believed in magic, people who believed in witchcraft and sorcery and incantations. That's, that's the place where, where all the Christians came to Jesus and turned away from that. They burned so many books that it started a riot because they said, I don't want any more of this witchcraft. That's, that's one. Okay, so we get where they are. They had other fi- uh, over 50 other um, documented deities that were worshipped in Ephesus. One of the seven wonders of the world was the temple to Artemis, the goddess Artemis. That was in Ephesus. You had all these um, uh, options saying, if you want spiritual power, come here. And Paul wants them to know Jesus is unique. And Jesus is above all and over all. And he's powerful over all. And we need to hear that message today because our culture is a lot like that. We live in a pluralist culture. We, we live where people are spiritual but not religious, and, and there's spiritual practices, but I, I don't go with traditional religion. We live in a time where people serve many gods. They don't have names like Artemis in our city, but they have other names like success or achievement or money or sex or whatever it may be. We have many gods that we're saying, this is the key to life. This is what gives you power. This is what's going to make sense of your life, and we need to see this vision of reality of where Jesus is, that he is over all, that he is the head of everything. He's not absent. He's not aloof. He's not, he didn't just set the world spinning and he's waiting. No, he's in control. He's in control. And where are we in this vision? Where is the church? It says he's the head and we're the body. Here's what I'm getting at. I'm coming to a close quickly. The church is the focal point of God's activity on earth. The church is God's plan A for the redemption of the earth. And there's not a backup plan. Jesus, in this image, he's not sitting over Rome with all power and authority. He's not sitting over Washington, D.C. He's sitting over the church and he's working through the church and it says that uh, it says that he's been appointed to be head over everything for the church. That God is willing to use all of his power and his resources to accomplish his mission through broken and frail people like you and I, who are blessed to be called part of his church. Amen. The church is important to Jesus. That's what I'm getting at. All the time we say around here, church is not just a weekly gathering. It's not just a Sunday morning event. It's a family you belong to. It's missionaries who have been sent to share the good news with their neighbors and friends and coworkers and families and across the world. It's a place where your deepest relationships are. That's what Paul would have seen. Paul never would have seen church as a place we show up on Sunday and get entertained or just think happy thoughts. No, it, it, it's <clears throat> Jesus said, who are my mother and my brothers? Some of the closest relationships in your life. Those who do the will of my Father. If Jesus died for the church, we should be deeply devoted to it. We should do whatever we can to get over our issues. You say, church people are just full of problems. Nobody knows that more than Jesus. Those problems cost him his blood, and yet he gave it willingly, and he didn't just do it for other people's sins. He did it for yours and for mine. If Jesus invested his blood into the church, you should invest the best of your time and your energy and your resources into his family, into his body. You're free to live that way. You're not shackled to live for lesser purposes that won't last. Can I tell you? There's no emperor of Rome today. That empire rose and fell. A thousand years from now, I don't know 
whether the U.S. will be powerful. I don't know. A thousand years from now, probably no one will ever have heard of Apple or Google. But you know what they will hear of? The church. If God hasn't come back for us yet, the church will still be here. Because that is how God has chosen to redeem and bring his message of hope and redemption and freedom to this world. And you and I get to be a part of that. You don't have to live your life for anything less than that. It says that God is ready to use his incomparably great power for the benefit of the church to accomplish the mission that he's called us to. You know, right now on earth, there's still over 6,000 unengaged, unreached people groups. That means there's, they don't have, no one's sharing the gospel. There's no church for a whole people group. They don't have the gospel in their language, and they haven't heard it yet. 6,000. And God is saying, you can accomplish that mission. The church can accomplish that mission. I will give you the power to do it if you'll give your heart to it. If you'll realize who I am and who you are. That I'm the head and you're the body and all things are under my feet. The authority, the blessing that we've been called into. Amen? And it's not just unreached, unengaged people groups. There's people on your street who need to know the love of God. There's neighbors who live right next to you who have no idea the kind of hope that I'm talking about. They need to know that. They need to know that you have it. That's what we're talking this year about going across the sea, across the border, across the street. That's the mission that God has called us to. He's the head of his body, and he's ready to work through his body with power. I'm going to close with a visual. Anyone ever watch The Matrix? It's an old movie. Um, there's this scene. Oh, yeah, there it is. There's this scene where Morpheus is talking to Neo, the one, and he is basically telling him there's more to the, there's more to reality than you can see. You think you're living in just straight-up reality, but there's something more real than this. And he, he gives him this option. He says, this is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill, and the story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. We need God to, to make this real to us. We, we need God to give us the faith and the courage to say, I want the red pill today, God. I need you to open my eyes to true reality. I need you to cut through this facade that I'm just living in. I need you to make it real for me, God. It always amazes me, that phrase, I'm praying, I keep praying that you may know him better. Some of you, that's the reminder you need today. There's more to know of God. Not just facts, but here. There's more that God wants to show you, and you will never exhaust it. If you're bored with him, that's a problem. Because there's more. There's more. I remember in 2006, I was in college, and I was in a, a risky time in my faith. And my, uh, my grandfather had just passed away, and... Uh, I was on a road trip with friends, and I brought a Bible with me, and I thought, okay, I'll, I'll try to read some. And you know, the whole five weeks, I never got out of Galatians and Ephesians because God was just speaking to me and showing me in a new way, this is who you are in Christ. This is what I have for you. And here I am 13 years later, and I'm still mining deeply. I feel like I don't even have enough time to study for the message this week because I can't get to the bottom of it. There is more for us in Jesus Christ. Amen? What we need today is that spiritual sight. So I don't know where you are. Maybe it's that you need to know him better. Maybe it's that you've forgotten the hope that you have in Jesus, and it's not shaping the way you're living now. It's just kind of out there, and you're going to cash it in later. No, God wants to use that hope to shape the way you live now. Maybe you're here today, and you've forgotten that you're valuable to God. Maybe you're here today and you, you haven't thought, when, when we sing that song, How He Loves Us, you can't even sing the words because you don't feel it. And you need the Spirit to open your eyes and say, God, show me that I'm part of this inheritance that you're looking toward. Maybe you're here and, and, and <laughs> you need to see that God, the power that God is at work in your life. You're like Levi jumping right next to the gate. <laughs> you just need to jump over it in Jesus' name. 
And maybe you're here and that last point is ringing true for you. You need to know that Jesus is on the throne. Yes, he, he came uh, the first time and he showed us power through weakness. But when he comes the second time, it's not going to be weak. It's going to be powerful over all. And that faith and that hope that he's put in our hearts, we're going to see it with our eyes. And it's going to be more beautiful and glorious than we could ever imagine. But whatever it is, I pray that this would be your prayer today. And that you would take these next few minutes. That, it would, that you would ask God, show me. It's got to be a work of your spirit. And so I cry out and I call out to you, Jesus. Show me. Open the eyes of my heart. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you so much for for your word that speaks to us eternal truths that are beyond our understanding, and yet they're so simple and profound. God, I I told a few people that I didn't even want to preach today. I just wanted to get up and read the passage and have someone else come up and read the passage and someone else come up and read the passage again because it's so beautiful what you've given us. The, the, the model of prayer that you've invited us into. God, I just pray that you would put a burden in our hearts for that prayer right now. I pray for anyone who's here who has, who has not yet placed their faith and their trust in you. They haven't yet repented and turned from sin and turned towards you. I pray that they would begin to make those steps even in their heart right now. And they would connect with someone here today, whether it's me or the prayer team, that can help lead them to beginning that relationship to you and saying yes to your call and seeing that you've been calling them all along. God, I just pray that you would bless uh, those of us here who, who are in Christ and know that we have hope and assurance. I pray that you'd make it real to us, God. I don't want to multiply words. I want your spirit to speak to us, God. It's not... In my words or thoughts or anyone else's words or thoughts, it's you who we need to reveal it to us, God. So we just pray over these next few minutes as we respond. Let this be a sacred time, a time of prayer. God, I pray against distractions. I pray that our hearts would be set on you and that you do a special work in our lives. And God, that we turn to you in worship. And God, that these truths would keep on becoming real, keep on becoming real, that we wouldn't grow tired of them that you'd bring us in into new horizons of the same deep truths that we already know. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.